You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you'd like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. Great to be here again. Um, I, I do hope I look okay. And, and I ask that because this week, earlier in the week, I was um, talking to somebody and, the, and the, the conversation turned around to, to me speaking this morning. And this person said to me, Oh, make sure you don't wear trousers that make you look naked from the waist down. Blew my plans. I was going to wear some uh, skin tone uh, gym tights, you know. So. And also, on another point, many of you will know that I've, you know, I, I live on my own, have done for several years. And look, no pullover, no jumper. <laughs> and if you don't know what that reference is, you need to go back to last week's message and listen to Pastor Ashley. <laughs> And while you're at it, go back and listen to Pastor Matt the week before. Because this month, we're on a journey. This month, the theme is, take it easy. And this is this month's topic, this month's theme, under the broader topic for the year, which is the life you ordered. Well done, two of you. But each month, we, we cover a different area within that. Uh, This month, it's called Take It Easy. And of course, two weeks ago, Pastor Matt uh, brought us a word about the weight of sin. Good place to start. Last week, Pastor Ashley, the weight of shame. And uh, because I know what's coming over the next couple of weeks, I think it's actually pretty exciting. I think this this month is, is just a fabulous month to really dig into what's being uh, spoken by God from, from up here, and I hope I can do it justice today. I want to start with a scripture that just, to me, brings out some stuff that, that sometimes we miss. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, something about that that I think is is important that he gives us rest for our souls. Right? We we often we're looking for rest and peace for our minds and our bodies but but when we take upon Jesus yoke as he called it it's rest for our souls it goes deeper it's something that's deep down it's it's that peace and hope that we get when we give ourselves to him and that's important because it shows that our god is not so much interested in the superficial 
He wants to dig deeper into our lives. He wants to help us where it really matters. He wants to be with us in the heart, in the core of our being. And when I thought about this, I thought, hmm, how do we respond? Do we respond in like manner? And I think sometimes we don't. We get caught up in in other things. And it made me think back to, to part of what this whole series is about. The whole idea of sin and what is sin. Well, traditionally, culturally, we, we kind of have this idea of sin. And it can be seen often in, in like dictionary definitions and how we approach it ourselves. We kind of have this, this idea that sin is an offence against religious or moral law. Or if we want to be a little bit more direct, we, we see it as a transgression of the law of God. And that's all very well and good. But see, it kind of rubs me up the wrong way. Because in my mind, that leaves us in a very legalistic mindset in our relationship with God. If we start off thinking of sin in a legalistic way, we can only follow through in legalistic attitudes and actions. And that bothers me. So I had to think about that a little bit. And I thought, hmm, so what's a better definition then? And I thought, okay, well, I guess in the purest sense, from a Christian context, sin is anything that goes against the heart of God. It's something deeper, isn't it? Something that has more oomph to it. And then I thought, well, that's just a bit too broad maybe. Maybe we need to break it down a little bit. And the best I could come up with is this. Sin is anything contrary to the character, nature or will of God. Does that make sense? It may not be perfect, but I think it gets closer to, to where we should be in our, in, in our approach to sin. It's all about what goes on in the heart more than the doing, thinking and saying. Because it's really about our attitudes and motives and intentions that underlie the things we do think and say, isn't it? That, that's more important. Because if we get that right, then the things we do think or say will just outplay properly when you're pure of heart what you do will be pure also and I think that's important and I raise that this morning because as we go through some things I want us to remember and and think along those lines I don't want us to be legalistic about our relationship with God that's not how it should be it's supposed to be a relationship There's also biblical allusions to this. Um, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There it is. The, the, the real 
The real important thing is what's, what's in here. And even when we look in the Old Testament, and this might surprise some of us, but the Old Testament, we think of, oh, that's the law. And yet, when we read Psalm 51, which happens to be my favourite chapter in the Bible, actually. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. There it is. It's not the things we do that God's all that interested in, really. It's where we're coming from in the doing thereof. Because, you know, we can, we can do all the right things, but with wrong motives and wrong attitudes, can't we? We can put on a show, but that doesn't wash it with God. And it shouldn't wash with us either. And the, the, the issue is, God is our divine surgeon. He wants to work on the illness, not the symptom. And the illness is deep down. It's not on the surface. And if we're aware of that, it can be a little bit scary. Because we, you know, we get an inkling of what he needs to deal with in our own lives. But, but it's what we really want, isn't it? Because we know without it, we're in trouble. And we will suffer. And then we will cause problems for others as well. Who wants that? God is more interested in the cause, not the effect. So it's what's going on in our depths that's most important. And how we respond or react to our failures, to our sins, that's important. We sin, we, we fail, we make mistakes, we blow it from time to time. And then, if it's in us to do it, we then feel shame. You know, we get, we get that guilt feeling and if we, if we stay on that, it then becomes shame, doesn't it? And then we can have embarrassment and all sorts of negative feelings. And it can be very destructive in our lives because it takes us down a path that is not healthy. It's not good for us. If we're not careful, we'll go down that path and we start to back off, back away, just a little bit. We can start to isolate ourselves from God a little bit. And uh, depending on how we go, we can even begin to isolate ourselves from others. Maybe not physically, but, but in the way we deal with things in our head. We're starting to back away and create distance and starting to isolate from the world and from God. So today, we're going to go further down the rabbit hole from sin to shame and guilt to the weight of isolation. Maybe, just maybe, 
you've had an experience like this. No dialogue, but none needed. Very powerful. You ever felt like that? You ever felt abandoned? You ever felt like you're on your own? In a crowd? You ever felt isolated? That's what can happen to us. If we don't deal with our guilt and our shame... We get into that isolation train that, that takes us to a horrible end. Leads to a world of pain because you're on your own. And that's how it feels. When you go through life and you allow shame and guilt to get to you and you don't have it dealt with, you end up isolated, even if only in your own mind. And it's a very lonely place. And it's very destructive. And we need to know how to deal with it. We need to have it fixed. Like that little boy, on his own, surrounded by people, hundreds of people going past. But he was isolated in his own mind. In his mind, he was alone and hopeless and helpless. And if we don't deal with our guilt and shame, if we go down that rabbit hole of isolation, we have a similar experience to that little boy. It's very painful and it's very damaging. It begins in the mind. It's not, isolation is not, at first, a physical thing. It's, it's something that goes on in our mind where we have a perception, a wrong perception, that we're on our own, we're alone, we've been abandoned, even by God. And the false perception digs in. And when you've got false perceptions, you make bad rationalisations. Your thinking is wrong. You can't see clearly because you're looking through Glasses that are obscured by inaccuracies and falsehoods. The falsehood of isolation. There was a time many years ago now, thankfully, <laughs> where I had a period of a couple of years where a sequence of events and circumstances happened in my life. And... Uh, it got to me. And I went down that rabbit hole. One thing after another, after another, just kept coming at me. And some of those things led me to a place of feeling shame and guilt. Other people were affected and affected terribly, significantly, because of what was going on. And it just kept getting worse and worse. Things just kept getting coming and hitting me, failure after failure after failure, one thing after another after another. And I descended into the isolation that started eating me up. 
I went into depression, that dark place. And it got pretty dark, I can tell you. I couldn't think. Menial tasks that I'd done for years, all of a sudden, I couldn't do them because I couldn't even think about what I had to do. It was like bits of information missing. All because of isolation. All because I withdrew from God and from people. We become dependent on our own ability to think through things and rationalise things. And that's the first mistake. Because we're not in a right place to do that. And besides, we don't have all the information. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and what? Lean not on your own understanding. That's there for all of us all the time. Not just when we're in trouble. It's all the time. Don't lean on your own understanding, he's saying. Well, and yet the very thing we do when we run away and isolate is we start to all the more lean on our own ability to rationalise and think things through. We do the very thing that's the worst for us. We need to find a way to do better. Find a way to escape the, the entrapment of isolation. Or we may try to go around and cover up by looking for things that will give us you know, nice warm fuzzy feelings and little touches of happy, happy, joy, joy. It doesn't last. Of course, the problem with that is those things, our, our constant rationalising, being God of our own lives, let's face it, because we're trying to take control and maintain control, or this running after good feelings, that's just another way of selfishly trying to manage our lives, apart from God and others, it's just more sin. And eventually it'll catch up again. You've got to keep chasing it and chasing it and chasing it. It never lasts. So we're just in this spiral and just keep going around and round and round. And then eventually, if, if we just keep going, this isolation takes us to a place where we're tempted to just give up. We just want to get... Because what the heck? We can't win anyway. It's not good. We need to avoid isolation when we have a life where we are full of shame and guilt. Instead of running from God, run to him. Because the problem is, we get to a point where we even continue embracing sin just so that we can have something that we want. That's, that's really hitting rock bottom, isn't it? But that's where we get to if we're not careful. And then we're really in the cycle of entrapment. We reach that point. The weight of isolation is too big for us. And it becomes a vicious circle. Isolation leads to sin. And then sin leads to more isolation. And it 
and it's round and round and round and it eats you up. But we continue to try and manage it in our own minds. Proverbs 28:26 Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Hmm. Very subtle. If you trust in your own mind, you're a fool. But if you walk in wisdom, you will be delivered. Hmm. How do we walk in wisdom? That's the question, right? Often it's not about the answers. We spend all our lives seeking answers. I think sometimes what we should be seeking is the right questions. Because all too often we're asking the wrong ones. We isolate ourselves from others. When guilt and shame take over and we don't deal with it, we isolate from others, from other people, even sometimes physically. But usually it's something that goes on in the way we live our daily lives. We'll, we'll back off from conversations. We'll start to avoid certain, certain topics because we don't want to be confronted with that same thing that made us feel shame and guilt in the first place. And there's, eventually, in, in some cases, we, you know, we, can, we can be tempted to physically isolate. And we're on our own, not just in our minds, but physically. And if we continue down that path... It's just destructive. And it's just a means of self-protection that doesn't protect us at all. It does nothing to help us. What we need to do is to find good people. People with the grace of God in their lives. People with wisdom. People who can encourage us. People who don't see us the way we see ourselves. I'm saying that because, you see... In my darkest times, I could only focus through the lens of failure. We get to that point where all we can see is the very thing that took us down that dark tunnel anyway. We see ourselves through that lens of failure and mistakes and it's a terrible thing. But we're not seeing clearly. We need to have people around us that we can trust to be honest with us graciously. People who can love us and encourage us and lift us up and tell us that we're not what we see of ourselves. People who see us as Christ sees us full of hope full of purpose and a future do you have those people in your life we need to find those people not just yes people people who are going to tell you what you want to hear or people who are just going to you know be all agreeable with everything you do think and say 
People that are actually going to be gracious enough to stand there and be honest and take your hand and walk the walk with you day by day. That's what we need. We don't need to withdraw from people or from God. If we can just accept that all our failures, every one of them, past, present and future, was laid on Jesus on the cross, then we can be free of it all. Because that's the Father's love. That's the Father's grace and mercy. He wants to have a relationship with us so much that he sent his son Jesus and laid all of our sin, all of our guilt and shame on him. And when he hung on that cross, when he died, so did all of our guilt and shame. We're set free. Do we really think we can surprise God? We can't take God by surprise. You know, it's almost, sometimes it's almost as though, oh no, I've messed up. And it's as though we think God's in heaven going, no, we can't take God by surprise. He knew what was going to happen before he created the universe. He knew exactly what you were going to do with your life, all your mistakes and everything, before you were born. But how does he deal with this? With grace and love. Because before we were born, before he created the universe, he had a plan. And that plan was to send his son, Jesus, to take it all upon himself, on our place. He came to show us how to live, to teach us how to live, and then to die in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve. We don't need to isolate. God's there the whole time with his arms open, arms of grace and mercy and love, wanting us to run to him, not from him. We do the exact opposite of what's best for us. The one thing that will help us move forward, we don't do. We get embarrassed. We allow the guilt and shame to get to us and we run away. That's not the right response. That's not how we deal with it. It will never get dealt with that way. Don't run from him. Run to him. Don't let selfish pride and foolish pride get in the way. In 1 Peter he says this. Humble yourselves. It's a good start. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Not condemn you. Exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
I can tell you from my experience, isolation devours you. It eats you up from the inside out to a place where you become ineffective in almost every aspect of your life if you let it go. Interesting passage. Casting all your anxieties on him. Not not some, not just the ones you think you can handle. There's nothing too big for God to handle. He's your loving father. He can handle it all. Cast all your anxieties, all those fears and worries, all the things that bother you, all the guilt and shame. Cast it all on him. It's an interesting phrase, cast. This is written by Peter. What was Peter before he joined Jesus? He was a fisherman. So when he talks about casting your anxieties, you know, as a fisherman, he would have been thinking, casting a net. When you cast a net, what do you do? You let go of it. Cast your anxieties on him. Let go of them. Give them to Jesus and let go of them. Let him handle it. Because he cares for you. The funny thing is, we go down this path of guilt and shame and we isolate because we're afraid of being judged and condemned and punished and whatever by God. But the weird thing is, it's not God who judges and condemns us. We judge and condemn ourselves. We're the ones that are legalists, not God. He's there with arms open. He's done it all in Jesus. It's all, it's all finished. He's done it all. But we fail to take hold of it and live in it. That's part of the the trap of isolation, the weight of isolation. It stops us seeing clearly and it stops us from going to where we need to go, to the Father. Now when I say that, I'm aware that, see, I may be a father, but he is the Father. There's a difference. God's not a father, he's the father. As earthly parents, we are poor examples and representations and images of him. And some of us here have suffered because of our earthly parents in some way, shape or form. We've got to be careful not to let our earthly experience with our earthly parents colour the way we view the Father. Go to him. You can trust him. He won't do anything wrong by you. He's always got your best interest at heart. For all of us. He's bending down, waiting for us to run to him ready to comfort us and lift us up again. Back to Psalm 51. You will not delight in sacrifice or I'll give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. 
the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What's interesting about this passage is this was written by King David about 1000 BC. Well and truly in the time of the Mosaic Law where they had all these laws, all these rules and regulations about offerings and sacrifices they had to give depending on what they'd done wrong, etc., etc. To have a good relationship with God in their mind, they had to obey all these sacrifices and offerings and laws. And here's King David. Now, you don't delight in sacrifice or I'd give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. Hold on. That's completely the opposite, isn't it? So what is God pleased with? A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Just humility and repentance of heart. Yes, we must make mistakes, but all we need to do is go to him in our brokenness. Go to him with all the pain of the shame and guilt and he'll take it all. All of it. And, and the, the size of the, of the communication breakdown doesn't matter either. It doesn't matter whether you do little things wrong or big things wrong. You know, I, I, I work in IT. It doesn't matter what size scissors you use to cut that network cable. You can use small scissors, big scissors, an axe. It doesn't matter. Once that cable's cut, the communication's dead. It doesn't matter the size of the sin that breaks the communication between you and God. Once the communication's broken, it's broken. But in Jesus, that cable's not just fixed. It's replaced with a brand new cable. The line of communication is refreshed and renewed all the time. Anytime you need it. Just like I would go and replace the network cable, not just try and patch it up. Jesus doesn't do that either. In Jesus, it's a new line every time. Communication is always there for us, clean and new and fresh. All our failings, past, present and future, were nailed to the cross with Jesus. Don't run. You don't have to go into isolation. Don't let it get to you. Because the weight of it is heavy. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much? All of it. Not just some of it. Not the bits you think, yeah, okay. There's nothing too big that God won't forgive. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Doesn't just forgive us. He works to make us fully righteous in his sight again. And it happens in Christ. Because of the cross. Because he was the one who had the plan. He laid it all on Jesus. When Jesus died 
on the cross. We have a record of, you know, the high priest was about to give the, the sacrifice and go into the Holy of Holies because it was Passover and that's what they did. Now the thing about the Holy of Holies is it had a massive great big tent across the front of it and nobody could go in there because in there was the very presence of God. And anybody who went in there was guaranteed to die on the spot. The only time anyone could go in there was at the right time, once a year, the high priest could go in there and enter into the presence of God on behalf of all the people. But you see, when Jesus died on that cross, it tells us that that curtain, that heavy, massive curtain which covered the entrance into the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. Consider that. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold... The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. It's as though the father himself reached down, grabbed that curtain and ripped it from top to bottom. It's the father saying to us, Everyone is welcome. Everyone is free. Everything is forgiven. We can all enter into the presence of God because of Jesus. It's all been dealt with. It's done. This moment was the great reset of history. Can the music team come, please? At the cross of Christ, we're set free to live forever in a relationship with our God, the God of the universe, our loving, gracious, merciful Father. And he was set free. It's, it's, it's a weird thing, but we are set free. But it's as though God himself was set free to redeem, renew Rebuild, recreate, restore, and reconcile us to himself. Nothing holding back now. God is let loose on our lives to do all he can to make us all that he always intended for us to be because of the grace and mercy poured out in Jesus. Guilt and shame no longer have a means to constrain us Isolation is defeated and unnecessary forever. Run to him. When we fail, we need to run to him. Run to his loving, open, forgiving arms full of grace and mercy. The punishment has been dealt with. It's done. 
No more condemnation, no more judgment. But instead, a father working to make us into the very best we can be. Our failings, past, present and future, were nailed to the cross in Jesus. And when he died, they died. It is finished. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.